Welcome everybody to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson and as always I'm your host and I am here with Reverend Karen Kraska. Hey Karen. Hi Alyssa. So glad that you're here to answer the one question that everybody in the world <laughs> wants to know the answer to. Woo. What happens when we die? Wow, if I had the answer to that question specifically, I'd write a book. And of course, there's been many, 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 many books written on the topic. But I love to talk about this. I've been really excited. And when you asked me, I was like, I'm not sure why she's asking me. But um, I'm fascinated by this topic. And uh, with my experiences in ministry, having been at the bedside of many parishioners and family members who have passed... um, I think it's a it's a wonderful thing to talk about. It's nothing to be feared, um, and there's a lot of mystery, which I really love when we try to um, explain everything and put in our own mere mortal words uh, what happens in those in those holy moments in our in our lives. Um, I think we kind of reduce God. So anyway, happy to talk about it. Well, thank you for explaining exactly why I asked you (laughs) to cover this question. You have a lot of passion around it, and I've heard you uh, talk about experiences with death uh, in a very uh, meaningful, and you you do hold on to that mystery. What does the Bible say about the afterlife of where, where are our people that we love and we miss so much? You know, I... I knew you were going to ask this question, and um, obviously I could quote different scriptures uh, because they are there in the New Testament. Um, There are so many different ideas and understandings that, and even in hymns, when I look to lyrics of hymns uh, for what happens when we die, I mean, some believe that we kind of rest, you know, uh, until Jesus will return, and then our our souls and spirits will be uh, raised uh, with Christ in his return. Um, I believe <laughs> that after we die, it's a, it's an instantaneous kind of a transfer, so to speak. We are spiritual beings. Uh, the Bible talks about something happening after death. Jesus talked a lot about, hey, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. So we think, oh, paradise, wow, streets of gold and pearly gates and mansions, because he said, you know, in my father's house, there's many rooms. So we think, okay, well, that's, is it a, a physical place? Uh, we can make a lot of arguments about kind of what that looks like. But but I believe, and I believe scripture points us to, there is another reality. There is a um there is something that happens when our physical body dies, that our spiritual bodies, our souls do transfer. So so what about this whole idea of, it, it sounds like what you're describing is um, more open to interpretation of like, hey, I believe that something happens. I think our souls live on in some way, but there's no architecture really around it. So what does the Methodist church believe? Because I think a lot of people, when they're asking about the afterlife, what they're really asking is, is heaven and hell real? Is there an actual risk of me ending or the people I love ending up in hell if they don't accept Jesus as their savior? And so what is the Methodist belief around heaven, hell, and afterlife? 
this is one of the reasons I really uh, appreciate our um, doctrine, our theological heritage. I went to the discipline and just kind of looked up specifically. And if you have a, you know, like a concordance in a Bible, in our in our book of discipline, which, by the way, is the only um, um, means by which United Methodists can can say, hey, this is a true United Methodist doctrinal standard. You won't really find a lot about heaven and hell and afterlife because I believe as United Methodist, we interpret scripture based on our, you know, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. All those things come into our understanding. And so we don't have definitive, when you die, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. This is heaven and this is hell, and they are a physical, literal place. I know a lot of Methodists that... uh, are very devout and very God-honoring and very biblically uh, astute and differ greatly on is there a physical heaven? Is there a physical literal hell and what they look like and and what happens? So I'll just kind of give a disclaimer. What I'm sharing is just my own personal wrestlings and understandings of of a heaven and hell. I do believe there's a heaven and hell. I believe that um, when we are separated from God, that's hell. When we are united and in fellowship with with Jesus and with God, that's heaven. Now, I can't quote the dimensions. I can't tell you exactly where or how, but I personally believe that, yes, that there is, um, that when we die, we can be, we will be united with God. And and so that's a a heaven, Mm -hmm. so to speak, whether it's a physical place with tangible um, treasures and, as I said, streets of gold and pearly gates and mansions. I don't know, and I wouldn't presume to know. Uh, so the United Methodist Church, people say, well, we never talk about hell. We don't talk about hell in our church. And I, I believe that there can be hell on earth. <laughs> there can be hell in relationships. Uh, hell is is um, disconnect. It's torture. It's uh, uncomfortability. So I, I'm not going to, um, you know, I think so many of us get our understandings of hell from from literature, mm-hmm. <laughs> from secular Dante's inferno, exactly, yes. and and other <laughs> books that you know we we have a perception, but it's really not biblical. Uh, but Jesus does talk about. I mean, it's in the Bible. There, it, we can't deny that hell and and heaven and paradise and these words are are in scripture. Well, and I do, so I'm not as confident on my, does a literal heaven and hell exist? I, um, if we're speaking on personal beliefs, Mm -hmm. it's just hard for me to reconcile this all loving God with but also saying, well, but you also, as a human, with your very limited knowledge of the way the universe works, right. you have 90 years or however long you are on this planet to make a decision for Christ. And if you don't, you burn in hell for eternity. Like, I'm not on board with that. That right. doesn't feel like the God I serve. Absolutely. Um, and so I really struggle with the concept of um, that if you're not Christian, that's an automatic hell sentence. If you're not, um, that there are certain standards of what it takes to be connected to God. Um, 
I, I struggle with that understanding a lot. And I also wonder about how Jesus and other people in scripture talked about hell, because I've read that there have been some misinterpretations oh, absolutely. of how we, because like, uh, the, the Ganesh is a place that's mentioned and right. it's often translated into hell, but it was actually a, a literal <laughs> place. Like it was a dump that right. people would send their trash to and right. bodies and set it on fire right. um, to get rid of it. And it was a hellscape, basically. That was a literal place on earth. And it, it felt like Jesus was saying, being disconnected from God is like going to Ganesh. Right. And, but then we take that and we say, okay, if you don't believe right. you're going to hell when you die. And I just don't know if that's what it, it was, what he was trying to say. Right. I totally agree with you. I don't believe that um, if we miss it, <laughs> if we don't have the right teacher, the right opportunity, the right um, environment, the right church, the right theology, that we're damned to hell. I don't believe that either. Uh, but I do believe that there um, are consequences to our actions. I'm not saying that if we're bad, then we're we're doomed to hell. I don't believe um, in a, a lot of literal understandings of, hey, this is this word and this is what this means and this is what happens. I wouldn't presume to, to, um, to say that. But I do believe that we have to grapple with what our what our lives are. I mean, we we do know Jesus. We have opportunities to follow. But I'm not. I would never try to say, well, that person's damned or that person isn't good enough. And it puts a lot of pressure on our works yeah. <laughs> and our deeds. And uh, I believe God's got it. And I think that's why in the United Methodist Church we don't dwell a lot on heaven and hell because it is such an abstract, mm -hmm. um, very metaphysical kind of miraculous, mysterious. And so those literal understandings trip us up. Yeah. Big and it's time. impossible to know until we experience it. Exactly. Well, there are people who have near death experiences who come back and say what they yes. experience. Yes. Um, right. Right. I think it's hard to be, <laughs> I think it's very hard to be absolute. I think studying scripture and praying for wisdom and understanding and, you know, our ways aren't God's ways. Our minds is, is not anywhere near, you know, the creator of the universe's mind. So I, I just realized my, my understanding is so limited. And the more I read, the more I study, the more I grow to your mm -hmm. point of you, we read these books and we go, oh my gosh, now it just threw out my hypothesis right out the window. Um, I remember two books that I've read. In fact, I, I have them. Uh, I found them in my library downstairs. Uh, I still have them. One is Embraced by the Light, a lady that passed away in uh, 1973 on the operating table, and she talks about her experience of literally being clinically dead and how she encountered Jesus. And the other was 90 Minutes in Heaven, and it's a pastor, Don Piper, who in 1989 uh, was in a car crash. And he passed away and was resuscitated, and his experience as with his body being physically dead and then revived as well. And they are so comforting and so beautiful. And I've read those books and I've, I've recommended them to other people because I think there is such, we're human beings that want to understand everything. Mm -hmm. We want to explain, rationalize. We want to have the ed, Be educated. We sure. Feel safe. Sure. Yeah. We want to be able to Google it. What's heaven like? 
what's hell like? How do I stay out of hell? And as I said, I I don't have all the answers, but when when you talk to folks or or read books of people that have kind of been uh, that tipping point, near the tipping point, after 30 years in ministry, I can say that I have nothing but confidence that God's got it and there's total peace. And, uh, you know, I was thinking when you asked me to do this a couple of days ago, I started thinking, oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I have my own opinions, but they're opinions. Um, and, and they're based, you know, on my experiences and understanding of Scripture. And literally, day before yesterday, I was talking to a church member. Her name's Lynn Murphy, and I asked if I could share this in the podcast. I said, oh, my gosh, can I share this when I do a podcast? I guess it was yesterday, uh, tomorrow. And she said, absolutely, absolutely. God's timing. You it's know? God's timing. Yeah, because I was literally <laughs> like, what am I going to say that's not like, hey, I read these books in the 80s, and here's what the Bible says, and here's what the Methodist Church says. And literally, she called me yesterday, and her mother has been with hospice. She's been very ill for a long time. She lives in Battle Creek, Michigan. And Lynn flew up to be with her mother and her sister was there. And she just said, my mom was very afraid to die. Even though she's a Christian, she's been a lifelong Christian. She was very active in her church. I don't know what denomination, but very active in her church. And she said, she's always been a very strong woman. Her dad um, actually died when when they were Uh, or her children were young. And so she's been, she raised her kids on her own and all that. Anyway, very strong Christian woman. But here she is at the end of her life and she was terrified of death, Mm -hmm. terrified of death. The ultimate unknown. Yes, absolutely. And that's what she said, because she's not in control. And so we talked about that. And she said, um, you know, my sister and I kept giving my mom permission to let go and that, you know, that God had her and that she would find peace. And she said she was just in this state of limbo and kind of um, very anxious and, and, and not able to let go. And she said on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, her sister walked in the room and her mother said, I've seen heaven. It's amazing. And I want to go back. Mm-hmm. That was Sunday morning. She died at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And Lynn said, I've got chills right now. She said, that was the greatest gift my mother could have given me and my sister because we were praying for her that she would find that peace and that she could let go. And she said she had a vision. She experienced a glimpse of heaven somehow in that liminal space. Mm -hmm. I think there's a very thin veil between heaven and earth (laughs) or whatever you want to call the next chapter, the next reality when our bodies fail. And she said that was... That was our God moment, our God assurance. And I just thought, yeah, that, that has been my experience, uh, being at the bedside of people and literally watching them pass away, is that something happens, something happens, and it can be, you know, you instantaneously, they, people, you know, from the books I've read, are in another place, like a teleported kind of thing. Others feel a drawn, you know, they're drawn. I don't know, but everything that I have read and seen um, has been beautiful and holy. So what has been your personal experience with death? You, you mentioned that you've been at the bedside of a lot of people. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen firsthand in transitioning from life to death? Well, uh, several things. First, I believe 
our bodies are so strong and there's such a fight or flight kind of instinct. So typically, and, and I'm not a hospice nurse, but I've talked to lots of hospice nurses and we have them here in our in our church, that even when someone's ready to pass, sometimes your body just kind of won't, is relentless and it's just fight to stay alive. But when someone kind of gets to that point of peace and surrender, um, that, that beautiful things happen. Uh, with my dad, for example, my dad died in 2008. He had metastatic melanoma, had tumors in his brain. And those last couple of weeks, months, he was nonverbal. He could not speak. There were 10 tumors pressing in his brain, and he couldn't speak. But that week he died, he was calling out to his mother. Mm. He was talking to people that were not in the room. And this sounds like, you know, hocus pocus to some, but just things happened that were not explainable. You know, I would shut the door and I would come back and the door would be open. And I know that sounds weird, but I believe there were spiritual beings in the room. I believe there were angels. I believe there were, call them apparitions or I don't know. There's just things that we can't explain. And we try and we try to have answers. But when things happen that you're like, I I don't have an explanation for that. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but I believe it's spiritual. I believe there are, there's a presence here that's tangible, and I felt it. I've, you know, I've seen lights, and and I, I don't very often, but especially, you know, it's just like when someone when at the, when there's a birth, it's just so miraculous. You have no words. When there's when death occurs, to me, it's the same. Yeah, it's as natural as birth, but we. We're terrified of it because we're not in control. We don't know what that looks like. I think it is the greatest blessing to be with someone as they pass and just the peace on their face, the, the just surrender uh, to, to God. I've only had one face-to-face experience of death, and I can already tell I'm going to start crying. Aww. But <laughs> um, when my grandmother passed in 2020, mm-hmm. she was ready. Mm-hmm. She was ready to go. And in the hospital, it, it was looking really bad. And she went to the doctor and said, I'm, I'm ready to die. Like, you don't need to keep me alive. But it was in the peak of COVID. And so we could only visit her one at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then... They were, we kind of had to convince them to let us have rotating visitation with her. And we knew that her, you know, what she really wanted was to be at home with family. And so we were just constantly working to see what can we do to get her out of here, which COVID was impossible. It was impossible. Everything had to be done over the phone. We weren't allowed to all go in as a family and Mm -hmm. have this conversation with your doctor like you used to be able to do. And um, we were finally able to get her home. We had hospice all set up. They came to the house, prepared everything, brought the bed in. We rearranged the entire house and we were ready for the long haul of like however long this takes. And within 30 minutes of her being home, she passed. Mm -hmm. And it was the moment that all of her family surrounded her. We were all praying for her. We were, um, and, and you hear all of these stories of like, yeah, we, we, uh, put our loved one on hospice and they ended up being at home for a month or two months or whatever. So we were all getting into this mindset of like, okay, this is going to be a long drawn out thing. And we were all still like trying to get arranged, bringing all of her stuff back from the hospital, putting where Mm -hmm. it goes. And the nurse 
was like, y'all need to get in here right now. And the whole family ran mm. over and she said, this is it. This is it. And hospice was there for an hour. Wow. And then left um, because it was over. And I just, it's, it's one of those things that you hear about often of people just like hanging on. Mm -hmm. And um, the way I see it, my grandmommy got exactly what she wanted. <laughs> right. She wanted to die at home mm -hmm. surrounded by her family. Right. And she got it. And there are so many stories of people wanting to hang on until their birthday or hang on until right. Christmas or hang on until Thanksgiving to be able to see their family one last time. And they do it. But it's, it is this like wrestling of your body fighting it, right. but also so like your soul being ready, like right. when, when you're ready to go and it's almost like, uh, God is doing all this prep work in mm -hmm. your life, mm -hmm. uh, to, to make your passing, but that doesn't happen for everybody. And it, doesn't I, it was such everyone. a beautiful, my first experience of death and it was really hard, mm -hmm. but it was also, like you said, one of the greatest honors of my life mm -hmm. to get to be with her yeah. as she passed. Yeah. Um, it's, it's truly incredible. And for you to be a pastor for as long as you have and, and have gotten to experience that with so many people, it is like a truly humbling moment. Um, and I do have this feeling, I don't know if you've, I never really fed into, um, you know, I talked to my mom about this, uh, afterlife conversation she was going to have. And she said, mm -hmm. oh yes, I call this comfort theology. Mm -hmm. These are the things that people want to hear mm -hmm. to feel ready to die. But I, I think that I had always been one of those people too, thinking, oh, people will just tell themselves what they need to hear to feel better about right. death. Mm -hmm. But now I realize I either I didn't know something that I know now, mm -hmm. or I've just become one of those people because I feel a spiritual presence of my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Like I don't feel like there are things that I see and things that, um, like every time I see a hummingbird, I think of her Aww. every time I see a butterfly, I think of her and I started seeing them all the time. Aww. And it could be that they were always there right. and I just didn't open my eyes to them. But I can't help but feel like she is somewhere else. Like she's not, her life isn't over, over sure. and she's, her spirit is elsewhere, but I have no evidence of that except that I feel it from time to time. And then I feel like a crazy person. <laughs> but if we believe that the Holy Spirit is active, if we believe in God's presence within us and around us and that God is still working in the world, then why couldn't we have those Holy Spirit nudges and leadings uh, and those kind of reminders of a greater reality and purpose. Is it coincidental? Like you said, butterflies have been around and hummingbirds and all mm -hmm. those things. But when we have a God consciousness, then I think we're kind of, um, we're in a place where we can see differently. I don't know about you, but even sometimes I'll hear a word and I'm like, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought of that word or heard that because I love etymology and I love mm -hmm. words. And I'm like, I have not heard that word in so long or used that word in so long. And then I'll hear it like three or four times, you know, in a short period of time. And I'm like, okay, now my interest is peaked. Same thing with... It's like, called like synchronicity. When you buy a uh, Jetta, you start seeing Jettas everywhere when before you never saw <laughs> you never them. You never noticed them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a consciousness. Well, I believe that God kind of can, can spur us and, and there's just a... Um, 
an awareness that when we are in the place, I mean, God is always around. God is always working. God is always doing miraculous things. I'm just too busy to notice most of the time or to participate with God and join God where God's working. But when I'm when I'm sad after someone has passed, when I'm praying fervently for someone or for a family, then my sensitivity and my kind of spidey senses are on on high alert. I remember we had a choir a member. He used to be choir president. Uh, his name was Nick Moralt, and he fell off a ladder and uh, was in the hospital and not well for, gosh, I guess it was weeks before he, he eventually passed from his injuries. And I remember getting the call, hey, he's not going to make it, and going up to the hospital and, you know, surrounded by family and singing hymns and things. And, and it was just, it was a weird kind of, um, we really thought he was going to make it. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I guess, some anger and some just, you know, working through all those stages of grief. And I remember the next, I mean, because it was late when I got back from Fort Worth. It was late. And I woke up and my kids were little. And we have a landing, a two-story house with a landing, and there's a window that divides kind of our stairwell. And I was going up to get the kids ready for, to wake them up for school, and there was a red bird. And the red bird was sitting on the windowsill right there. So I walked up the, fir- you know, the first part of the stairs, and I saw that red bird. I'm getting chills again. And it didn't move. You know, normally when, you know, there's just a piece of glass between you and a bird, they'll move. It didn't move. And I I thought, am I losing my mind? And I just kind of stared at the bird and I just had this wash of peace. I'm not saying that was Nick. I don't know. But my grandma would always talk about, you know, red birds are a sign of someone who's passed. Whether that had anything to do with Nick or not, to me in that moment, it was God saying, I'm good. I'm free. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And I just remember saying, thank you, God. I, I, needed, I needed that reminder that I don't understand all of this, but you know, consider the lilies of the field, the, the birds of the air. If God knows every hair on my head, God's got Nick's life and death covered, and I don't have to stress about it. And it was just a real beautiful, like, oh my gosh, that it was, I don't know. Those kind of things that happen to your, to your uh, you know, comment. Yeah, there are things that we, we think or have kind of um, assimilated into our theology that do give us comfort, that do give us peace. But my experiences have been, wow, that death and dying process, as difficult it is as it is when someone's battling a disease or an illness. And, and I'll just say this too. When it's an adult or an older person, it's much easier than a child mm-hmm. dying of cancer yeah. or an accident or, some, or drowning. Yeah, I feel like I'm very fortunate to have had that peaceful passing mm-hmm. with my grandmother mm-hmm. and knowing she had lived a long, beautiful right. life and she was ready to go. It was the most ideal passing I could imagine. Yes. And it's still heartbreaking. Yes. And I can't imagine um, the grief and, and turmoil and there is no comfort theology for someone who lost their loved one too soon. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's when I just pray for peace that passes understanding because this side of <laughs> here on earth, we'll, I'll never understand how a young person who passes or a tragic accident, how on our own, I could, I could never recover from that. Mm. So you've, you've told a few stories. So you mentioned um, 
with your dad that there was this presence. You've mentioned stories of like seeing angels in the past and um, for having many mystical experiences. What are your beliefs around like ghosts or spirits or just the the living on of of souls? Like, because it's there's. I think that we think of it in terms of angels, maybe yeah. out of scripture, right? but there seems to be more going on. And I, I think that maybe you've had more experience with that than most. Well, I, I can't say, yeah, yeah I, I'm really not a, um, I think about ghost per, you know, per se or specifically and I know there's programs ghost hunters and all that kind of stuff and I'm like no I don't resonate with any of that yeah I don't know I don't presume to know I'm not really not into the haunting no I'm not into that and I don't know I just believe we are spiritual beings in a very physical space a very physical tangible earth but we are still spiritual beings so if I'm a spiritual being how could there, I mean, why couldn't there be spiritual beings that I can't see? And I'm not saying spooky, you know, creatures, but I believe there's spiritual forces at work. I believe that. Um, and I don't have all the answers, nor have I done, you know, great you know, theological study on it. Uh, but I think about American Indians and I think about other you know, cultures and and peoples that have very spiritual understandings of God and the divine, whatever that looks like in nature. And and so all I can say is I don't know, but I do believe they exist. I think that what I know and see and understand is a flea in the cosmos of, of this universe. Mm-hmm. And just because I can't see it or understand it or explain it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how it necessarily impacts me and it doesn't happen very often. Uh, but I know just recently, like last week, I was really struggling with something and I woke up uh, and was just ha- kind of having dreams. And um, I just had this peace, like God was saying, you've got to let this go. <laughs> you, I've got it. You've got to settle down and quit kind of perseverating over it and trying to fix it and uh, manage it. And I just had a peace that when I woke up the next morning, I was like, yeah, I think that was a God speak through a dream that was like, sister, you've got to, God is trying to wrestle this from your hands. And so I have those kind of experiences where I'm just, because I pray, my prayers have always been, God, you know, help my unbelief. And where I, where I get off the path, if I get, you know, if I start to stray, you're going to have to knock me upside the head. It's going to have to be something more tangible. So when I read scripture or when I have an encounter with someone and they say something, and I'm like, okay, that was a message from God. Or it's just like when you see people sit in church and they go, oh my gosh, that message was for me. Oh my word, I felt like the pastor was talking right to me. I think that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is an area of your life that um, I can speak into. I can help you with that. Uh, and and I, I don't, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm too dumb and I know my intellect is very limited. So I have no problem with not knowing or not understanding or not being able to explain mm-hmm. everything um, because... God is so much bigger and so much more vast. And, and 
So literal, you know, kinds of interpretations of things or understandings where everything is just very tidy really uh, make me wary. Mm. Is there any part of death that you're afraid of? I mean, it sounds like you're very open to um, the experience of death. You're not worried necessarily about what happens when you die, but is there any part of it that scares you? I don't want to be in pain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some, you know, I hope I don't, I hope I don't die anytime soon. I am not at all afraid of death. Zero. I mean, like nada, nothing, but I'd rather go quickly. (laughs) You know, I really don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer or be in physical pain. The spiritual dimension of death, I have no hesitation, no reticence Mm -hmm. at all. But the physicality of it, sure, yeah, I can think of a lot of things that I pray don't happen. I feel like my fear of death is more around like fear of death of my family. Mm. Like it's, it's, and it's not necessarily the fear of what happens when they die, but the fear of living without them. Sure. And And I think that's very understandable. Yeah. And, uh, even the comfort of knowing that grandmommy is elsewhere, Mm -hmm. I'd rather her be here. Sure. She's probably happier where yes, she is. <laughs> right. Because she was in a lot of pain yeah. for a long time. Right. But selfishly, I still want her here. Sure. And so I think that there is um, a fear of death on just, it's almost to the point, I know my family wouldn't want this, but I'm like, how about I be the next to die? Aww. So I don't have to deal with any <laughs> of your deaths. Bless your heart. Like, yeah. And I just right. have that feeling of like, it would be so much easier if I'm just the next one to go. So I don't have to mourn anyone else. Cause it's so hard. Mm. I think I, uh, this is a funny story. I just thought of this when Chloe was little, there was, I don't know. I do a lot of funerals. I mean, work for the church. We do a lot of weddings. Well, which funerals, I mean, baptisms. I mean, that's why people, a lot of folks, that's when they come to the church is for some event. And I guess I'd been on the phone or something recently because my mom walked by and Chloe was playing with some dolls and she was little. And she, one doll said, all my friends are dead. And the other doll goes, but that's okay. And, <laughs> and my mom goes, you have got to quit talking about death and dying. And I'm like, I was on the phone with somebody. You know, that is so, the result of being a church kid, though, it, because yeah. I'll tell you, like, my mom has been working at this church for almost 20 years. Yes. I've been working at this church for eight years. Um, death becomes so commonplace. It's so common. We have a funeral almost mm-hmm. every week, if not right. every other week. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, Taryn Kane, that's done our, you know, youth drama ministry. A lot of times she's like, oh, well, this weekend, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing? And I'm like, well, I've got a funeral. And she always goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Who died? I'm so sorry. Do you need anything? And I'm like, Taryn, this is what we do. Now, if I've had a person, personal relationship with someone, of course, I mean, it's, it, it hurts, but it's just, to me, it's such a natural part. Just like, oh, we've have we have births on our, on our prayer list. We have deaths on our, it's the cycle of life. So I do see it really matter of fact, which makes me sound kind of like, oh, wow, does she have a heart? But it is, it's just as natural but they're so it's shrouded with so much mystery. When someone's born, you kind of know what that looks like. Yeah. But when you die, you don't know mm-hmm. what what's beyond. And so that I get it. I mean, we've had parishioners come up who've just had a diagnosis or and they're terrified. But I think to your point, probably just so much as I don't know what this illness is going to look like 
until I do pass or am I going to be in pain or what's going to happen with my kids or my spouse or my family or my pets or whatever. But the actual act of death and, and what happens after it, I think, is beautiful and holy. Mm. So, so you brought up Chloe. How have you talked to your kids about death? Have there been like actual conversations or has it just been, you know, as a minister, that's a part of y'all's life is, you know, they just feed off of what they, Mm -hmm. they hear. I think that, um, both we've have had conversations about death because I've lost my grandparents and they were, they were all alive when my my grandparents, my maternal grandparents passed and then my dad died and they were, they were young was actually before Chloe was born, but we moved him to Texas so that those last months he could be here uh, near us and we could monitor his care because he lived in Tennessee without family close by. So um, yeah, I think both. I think it's been kind of just organic, just in conversation. Oh, well, who died and how'd they die? And, you know, so we've, but we have had some specific conversations Um, I'm, I'm a big believer on talking about those things with your kids, even when you don't have the answers. I remember when there was a suicide in our church and it was a young person and my kids were little. And I remember other staff persons not telling their children, they're like, I I don't want to, that's too heavy a topic to talk about a very young person that took their life. And, um, that they, they didn't feel like their kids were ready to handle that. And they said, have you said anything to your kids? And I'm like, uh, yeah, they know. They know this is what happened and the circumstances. And they're like, well, aren't they frightened? And so we talk a lot about, you know, hey, people have, people have issues, whether it's mental health or depression or they're overwhelmed, whatever, but that God understands. I mean, how, how can I begin to say what's going to happen um, in someone's life or in their psyche or with their family. I don't know. But I I did talk to my very young kids about um, this young person's death and the circumstances and not to get into gory details or to be morose, but say, we need to pray for this person in in their death. We need to pray for their family as they try to move on. We don't understand, but our faith and our hope is in God. It's in Jesus. And um, so even when things don't make sense, God knew what that person was dealing with. God knew what was in their heart. God knew what they were struggling with. Because I think we want to know. I think people want to know, well, why did they do this? Or why did this happen? Or why did... We don't know. We don't know. But we feel like, oh, well, if we could explain it, then there would be some modicum of of understanding. Or I can kind of put that away now because now I understand why they did this or this happened. And most of the time, there's no easy explanation. It just happens. Mm -hmm. But I believe as believers, when we put our trust and hope in God, that we can pray for peace. We can pray for, for wisdom. We can pray for comfort. And that gives me some, some hope. Well, so Looking at our faith and looking at our understanding of um, life and death and what happens in the afterlife and our connection to God and our souls live on and all these things, why do you think even within the Christian church, there's such an obsession around what happens when we die? Okay, I'm going to be real honest that I think that some Christians— 
use heaven as a manipulative tool uh, with their understanding of you have to be good enough in order to go to heaven. You have to have this kind of narrow understanding of God or Jesus or faith or salvation. And so heaven is kind of the reward. And it's a manipulation, in my opinion. It's a way to control people. It's a way to control people. If you don't do this, you don't get this. You don't make it. You're not good enough. You didn't achieve enough. You weren't faithful enough or godly enough or whatever. And I believe that is a that's a misinterpretation of scripture. Um, and I think it's manipulative. And I think that's why in the United Methodist Church, we don't talk so much about hell as, oh, you're going to be damned if you don't do this, you don't think this, if you don't believe this. Mm-hmm. And we don't use heaven as a reward. Um, I would be a Christian and I would be a Jesus follower if that I didn't think there was a heaven or a hell. Because I believe the kingdom of God is present, it's here now, and it's also futuristic. Mm -hmm. So to me, leading a God-centered life and having a relationship with Jesus gives me fulfillment and peace and um, joy in this life. Even if there was not a scripture in the Bible or Jesus never mentioned a heaven, I still want to pattern my life for all the fullness and richness that comes from being a Jesus follower right here. To me, that's not a the, the present that I get to open, the prize. Is it a comfort? Absolutely. But it's not the only motivating factor. And I believe that there has been some distortion mm-hmm. uh, of theology that says, oh, the whole reason the Bible exists is to you know get you your get-out-of-jail-free card if you do these things. If you follow this formula, if you're good enough, if you're faithful, whatever, and I think that misses the point. Well, so it, what? How has this understanding warped the Christian faith? Because I, I think that that's where we're hearing a lot about uh, deconstruction. The term "exvangelical" mm-hmm. has started trending. Um, people who are just stepping away from the church because, and I think it has a lot to do with this warped theology of Absolutely. like using heaven as a carrot Absolutely. and as, as a means to control people and mm-hmm. structure, make sure that their life um, fits a very specific pattern. What is this doing to the church? Ooh. Wow, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> I think it. Go, I think exactly what we've been talking about. When everything is tidy, when you can explain everything, when two plus two always equals four, and there's nothing, there's no mystery, there's no interpretation. I believe that Scripture is the living, breathing Word of God. That that how I read a passage today at my age is very different than how I read it when I was 12, uh, based on my life experiences and my God experiences and all of that. So I think it limits, and I think people are smart enough to see through that I've got all the answers, and it's so literal, and it's so prescriptive, and you know, I think that then when you run up against something that is unexplainable or if God is love, then why does God allow this? And, you know, these kinds of things, it just, it's a theological landmine that most people, they just, they just want to live a happy full life. They don't really think about, you know, ponder their belly button. And then when they hear these 
uh, platitudes or these scriptures taken out of context or in a very literal, I know we've shared this before on podcast, you know, what kind of started my great, great kind of faith quest was when I was told in East Tennessee that my friend died at 17 because God needed her in heaven. That really was what started. It was what kind of bad theology is that? Mm -hmm. And so I knew there was better theology and I wanted to find out what it was. Um, And so I believe that some of these things that are said, you know, truly, I've listened to pastors say, if you don't even, you know, evangelize to your family and friends, you will spend eternity separate from them because they will be damned and be in hell and you'll be in heaven. And I'm... Oh my gosh. I mean, is that not a motivating factor to go home and tell everybody about Jesus? But mm-hmm. it's a different kind. Con- I mean, that's fear. Right. That's a fear tactic of scare the hell literally out of your friends and family. Yeah. And I just don't think that's the best way to go about telling people about a loving God. Well, it, it just strikes me as just absolute arrogance of like, if, if someone has an absolute answer of what happens when we die, the arrogance of that, of trying to take God, the infinite creator of the universe. And I keep bringing up uh, the web telescope, but like <laughs> for us to see a picture of the universe that is literally a dot in the sky. Mm-hmm. And within that dot in the sky, we're literally seeing 10,000 different galaxies. That is the part, we are such a teeny tiny part of creation and the story of God that it's just like putting God in this box and saying, okay, here are all the things that you have to do. Exactly. What? Like, right. What? Right. Why are you trying to limit this experience right. with our creator? Right. That's insane to me. Right. But that's all opinion. No, <laughs> so there are plenty I, of people listening to sure, this who, who sure. may say, you know what? I know exactly what happens mm-hmm. when we die. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and maybe they do. Maybe, maybe they're one of the people who had a death experience and came back and experienced uh, eternity. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. But when I do read those books and when I read the articles and, and it's, it's comforting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that my experience will look like that. I hope it does. But uh, I believe God's got it. I well, believe God's got well, it. Well, final answer, Karen, what happens when we die? <laughs> We're with God eternally, <laughs> our spiritual beings. Yeah, that's the one sentence summary. Of and I want to come back as a kitty cat in my house. <laughs> oh, so now we're talking about no, reincarnation. Red, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we didn't even get into no, that No, no. All right, Karen, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Um, and I hope that some people got some comfort. And if they didn't get comfort, at least some curiosity and something to ponder and something to continue to think about and read about. Um, because we're all going to die. We're all going to get there. That's exactly right. Nobody and, uh, comes Nobody. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nobody comes out alive in the end. Nobody makes it out alive. No, yeah. no. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. 
You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.